For F1 News, I'm Josh Durso, and this is Inside the Finger Lakes. Today on the show, we are going one-on-one with Casey McDonald. He is working to challenge Congressman Tom Reed in the 23rd District, which includes the Southern Tier as well as parts of the Finger Lakes, where we are, of course. Uh, Casey, welcome back to the program. I appreciate it, Josh. Thank you. Um, so you were here about eight or nine months ago and sort of giving an overview of your campaign. For those who might not have tuned into that episode, uh, give us sort of a nutshell of what your uh, candidacy is all about. Well, back in uh, 2016, when Trump won the election and carried our district uh, tremendously by 15%, uh, we had quite a few more Republicans than Democrats in the House. But uh, Tom Reed, along with uh, many other New York congressmen, uh, as well as uh, a number of other people from across the country, tried to make that Republican majority ineffective through a group called Problem Solvers. They basically had 24 Republicans vote with the Democrats dozens and dozens of times, and not once brought a victory towards conservative concepts, uh, social conservatism, uh, meaning traditional family values, uh, not trying to teach children uh, gender confusion, not allow a, uh, you know, a, a super citizen status for someone that claims that they're uh, transvestite, for instance. Uh, but Tom's group basically brought those things forward. Plus, the fiscal conservative part. How do you reduce the budget? As much as Trump tried, as much as, as uh, Mark Meadows and company tried to bring the budget under control, it was Tom Reed's group that basically said, no, we're going to keep the swamp the swamp. So that was back in 2017. And uh, on my website, uh, McDonald2020 for my, for my campaign website or CaseyMcDonald.com, just for anything in general about me, uh, I do document that very, very well. And uh, Tom Reed was the king of the swing vote. And I don't think that occasionally voting with the Democrats is a bad idea. The guy is running for uh, possibly for governor for New York State. He needs to demonstrate a voting record that uh, is more moderate than conservative, even though our district is quite conservative. Uh, so I understand him voting for, like, rules changes and doing it by himself. But when he brings a group of Republicans and recruits them to vote against conservative principles, I think there needs to be some pushback. And unfortunately, that pushback doesn't presently exist within the Republican Party. That's not the community. That's not the people. That's the way the party politics works. So part of my advocacy is to remind the public that I'm not here to keep elected officials accountable. I'm here to keep my neighbors accountable, accountable to one specific thing. What are the choke points of the political system? So for instance, you have a wild dog, and you're trying to train the thing. You can't. The thing's wild. Unless you figure out what it eats, what its food is, and then you can get the dog to sit, and then you can get the dog to lie down and start to behave, and all of a sudden treat you as the boss, as the alpha of that relationship. But what I've experienced in the past year since I've really been at this, because I was running for the uh, Republican uh, New York State Republican Committee chairmanship for the state, because of this particular issue, and because it was something that was known by the party across the state, and they allowed it to happen. I thought that there should be some tension in the discussion as to who the leadership is of the Republican Party, and I tried to bring that tension. Uh, but we're dealing with a wild dog here, okay? A wild dog that does a couple of things. One thing is we have a politicized judiciary. So what that means is that my petitions a year ago 
were rejected on grounds that were not traditional, were not consistent with what the law stated. And, and, that, and those fallacious arguments were upheld. I took the case, uh, appealed it through to the New York State Court of Appeals. No small process for a guy who's not an attorney. Okay, But I wanted to make sure that I was doing all that I could to invoke a civil solution to a very real problem. And the problem is the swamp. The connected elected scratch each other's backs. These, these political parties are filled with people that are dependent upon the good favor of other people that are very much connected. Ontario County has as its, as its chairwoman someone who was the employee of Brian Kolb, you know, uh, and on and on through the list. So we really have a, a problem, and the problem is the people. <laughs> Me and my neighbors, we have a good life. We were handed at a tremendous price this remarkable thing called freedom, right? The previous generation to me, the greatest generation, dying on the beaches of Normandy. My grandfather, sunburned for life because he dug into the beaches of Normandy and had to stay there as death was all around him, passes this freedom baton on to me. And what has my generation done with it, you know? We are ignorant of what the electoral process is. Yes, there are primaries. And yes, there are general elections, but this right now is the choke point. This is the point, the designating petition season. It runs from the end of February to the beginning of April. It's just a few weeks, and it's the time when those in power should tremble. So basically what my advocacy is, is to say to my neighbors, say hello, visit my website, tell me you're saving your signature on a designating petition for Congress for me, so that we can have tension in the primary process to discuss conservative and swing vote uh, objectives of two separate candidates. Tom Reed has demonstrated that he is the king of the swing vote and has never brought the victory home to Republicans for conservative values, which are essential to the survival of our country. If, if Republicans are in the minority... Uh, in Congress, uh, still after after this upcoming cycle, uh, how how do you bring those wins back? We see that government is pretty ineffective at just getting things done in general. Um, but if if one is if one party is in the minority, uh, is it is you know I would imagine that Reed is going to come back and say you know I'm I'm doing the best I can under the circumstances you know that we're playing in. How do you sort of, or how would you approach that situation if, you know, the, the deck is sort of stacked the way it is right now? Well, the symbol for the Republican Party is the elephant, right? Elephants never forget. So we need to look back to the previous 115th Congress when Republicans had the majority. And when we had the majority, he recruited enough Republicans to make that irrelevant. What he's done in the 116th Congress where the Democrats have basically the same majority that we had in the 115th, is nothing. He hasn't brought any shocking votes back to the, Dem to the Republican side to say, hey, I'm the king of the balance of Congress. He hasn't done it. Instead, what has he done? He has voted continually and historically with the Democrats. Yes, he votes many times partisan, but I'd like to know what his solutions are. Sure. 
Now, if he's running for governor, I understand some of the motives, that he's trying to represent himself as this, you know, moderate, leaning towards progressive Republican. And there may be some advantages to that. But I predict that that's not going to happen, that we're going to have a wave of Republicans coming in with Trump, who is profoundly popular, draws crowds wherever he goes, and has, in, in all of the, of the elections that have taken place, in the, not, um, not in the general elections, but all these special elections, Trump has had a victory multiple, multiple times. He has huge victories now in, in the court system. So what happens if we have a, uh, a, a Democratic majority in the 117th Congress, the thing is you have to bring, again, common sense to the to discussion. There are so many things that are bipartisan that need to be addressed by both parties and by Congress. One of them is people need to trust that their government is giving them good information. Right now, it's difficult to follow how Congress even votes. In other words, you have an amendment, an amendment that's written by a, a particular congressperson. In order to find the actual language to that amendment is a very difficult task. In order to find the conversations on the floor related to that amendment are a difficult task. It should not be. And that should be a bipartisan agenda. Realize, we send lawmakers to D.C. for one thing, to bring sufficient tension to the current situation that legislative language can be introduced that brings focus to that tension. Okay, Transparency is one of those. But over 10 years that Mr. Reid has been in, in Congress, he's brought one bill through that became law. One bill out of the thousands upon thousands of bills. You see, if you, if you just a, a quick little look, you can see who the creative people are in Congress who are bringing uh, ideas. Right now, it's the Democratic Socialists, right? So you have Ocasio-Cortez in the, in the, uh, uh, on the federal scene. On the New York State scene, we have Julie Salazar, both of which identify themselves as democratic socialists, which is a kind of giveaway society that demands uh, certain restrictions on certain businesses. In New York State, that restriction is upon landlords, which I'm hugely impacted by. But again, the main issue is not issues. The main issue is tension in the primary, where there can be discussions made. You have a wonderful forum here. Invite Tom Reed and I to debate the issues. That would be television. You know, that would be something very, very interesting. Plus, you'll find that he'll find every excuse not to show up because he has avoided it. So some of the problems are so fundamental. So, for instance, just prior to my announcement, a year ago, all the Republican chair people, knowing of what I've revealed about Tom Reed being the king of the swing vote, endorsed him unanimously without any discussions with their committees. And again, they are the connected elected. They are beholden to someone who is within government for their livelihood in many cases. The problem is that we as the ordinary citizenry are not embracing our responsibilities. So once again, this is the time of the designating petition season. In the absence of me gathering enough signatures, there will be no debate and there will be no tension in the Republican primary for the congressional seat. And even if I gather the signatures, the courts are stacked against me. But I do ask my neighbors to help. Tell me that you're holding your signatures for me. And that is what I'm repeating because it's so very, very important. If you do hold your signatures for me, perhaps we can gather enough signatures and perhaps then we can have tension in the, in the debate to discuss 
the value of conservative versus swing vote mentalities in the Republican Party. Is part of the, I could imagine very easily someone uh, approaching this conversation and saying, hey, look, this is a this is an otherwise safe seat. Uh, you know, Tom Reed, maybe he does sit toward the middle in terms of where Republicans, where sort of the benchmark is for Republicans mm-hmm. right now. Um, but in the grand scheme of things, perhaps some of those uh, those giveaways in terms of county chairs just endorsing Reed is a sort of reality that the Republican Party needs to focus in other areas and in more important areas, I should say, overall. Um, seats that maybe are a little less uh, comfortably won because that is one of the one of the uh, criticisms of both parties in the 23rd is that because of the makeup of the district uh, it's it never seems to be outcome wise as close as maybe some uh, some of us in the media uh, make it out to be as we're leading up to it Um, is that respond to that because I'm sure there are several people listening right now who are thinking that especially those in the political class who are connected? Well, I do a lot of different things in life. I enjoy a lot of different things in life. I have a pottery studio, and I make these beautiful self-promoting mugs (laughs) that say Love 45. And uh, part of my analysis of running for Congress is not to hurt Republicans, right? So I could have sought a third-party ballot, multiple third-party ballots, and maybe won some of them. In our own county, we had, uh, in the district attorney's race, we had someone that had some third-party ballot presence that drew votes from the Republican base and allowed a Democrat, quite frankly a good Democrat, to, to win as our district attorney. I don't want the same thing to happen because of my involvement in politics and go after the conservative vote, for instance, or the independence vote. Uh, and then end up on the ballot, and then draw away from the Republican base that kind of uh, Ross Perot thing, you know, that Ralph Nader thing, that brings the victory then to the opposing party. That's I think, is irresponsible. Uh, at the same time, what is politics about? Since we have a wild dog we're dealing with, a dog that doesn't even want to listen to its constituency, doesn't even want to have, again, the appropriate tension at the appropriate times for the discussions, and then let the voters choose. So if the voters choose, Republican voters choose in their primary to select someone that is more conservative and representative of the district in their approach, who will bring them to D.C. and answer to Ocasio-Cortez and not a compliment to Ocasio-Cortez, you know, the uh, for that to happen, we need to have a rigorous discussion, which is what politics should B. It's an illusion of a discussion when in a gerrymandered district you have, you know, Tom Reed debate, uh, debating uh, Matrano. It doesn't matter how good her arguments are and how poor his arguments are. He's going to win because of the makeup of the district. So that means that he is not really a candidate, but a perpetual representative. Okay, what we've done in our in our uh, wonderful constitution, we've, we've, we have a very uh, frequent visit as to who it is that's representing us in Congress every two years in in theory. But in practice, it's once elected, always elected. So the issue of, hey, we got bigger fish to fry in other districts. That's their business. 
Our business is our district. Me and my neighbors, we are in the business of monitoring our district. And if we want, for instance, term limits, we can, we can choose that through a primary process. We can't do it in a general election because it's only going to be a Republican against a, a Democrat. But in the primary, we can have multiple discussions as to what we want as a community. And then we let, supposedly, our uh, political parties know how we feel. But the fact of the matter is, we don't know who they are. We don't know who our representatives are of the political party, who our local committee person is, as, as a general rule. We don't know. So part of my advocacy is to raise our awareness as to what's going on, specifically to the designating petition and to the limited couple of weeks where that has the possibility of entering tension into the dialogue. Part of the, it sounds like part of the issue that you're pointing to is, frankly, the existence of a two-party system, um, where you have these these essentially party bosses, whether they're at the national level or at the local level, who can sort of control who's entering and who's exiting, based on a lot of different things. I mean, are as you look at this particular race and this particular district, um, do do you are you getting an impression that folks are frustrated? annoyed with that to the point where perhaps maybe we could start to break away from a traditional two-party system and maybe get to a space where it's more issues-based, whether they're conservative values or whatever the case may be, or progressive values, because frankly, it seems like the frustration is equal on both sides. There are folks on the left just as frustrated as many on the right are with where the party uh, either stands or with the way the parties are individually managed. Well, if you go to my Facebook page, I always encourage people of all political persuasions. I have quite a few people who are, you know, very, very liberal, and uh, I treat them with great respect, and they tease me on occasion, and on occasion I'll come back with something that's witty, but not necessarily wounding, yeah. okay? Uh, we have a, an opportunity for many, many parties the way things are, okay? I am really more concerned about raising awareness to how things are. We have a one-party system in a primary, but it seems anathema to challenge an incumbent, even if the incumbent is proven to be the king of the swing vote and bringing nothing back home for the district, for the conservative values of the district, in exchange for bringing, basically, impotency to a, a, a Congress, the 115th Congress, that had more Republicans than Democrats, and hurting the objectives of our president. So in, in reality, the discussion of in a, within a gerrymandered district should take place in the primary. Ocasio-Cortez has 10 challengers. Now, 10 challengers means she's going to get reelected. She's going to win the primary, unless those challengers can kind of figure out a way to whittle themselves out so that there is a more you know, moderate Democrat running against her within her own district. Uh, but in our, in our district, we have a responsibility to say to our political party leaders, county leaders, as well as our local uh, committee representatives, what's going on? Why were you so quick to endorse Tom Reed when he was the king of the swing vote? Why? What justifications can you give us that this benefited the county? Or was this not a favor in exchange for cash? Now, I haven't researched it. I heard it that Tom Reed gave a lot of money to the Seneca County Committee. 
uh, which apparently is a rare thing. Usually the money goes the other way. Usually money's raised grassroots and presented to the candidate. Here's some of your assistance. But the whole thing is topsy-turvy right now, okay? $4 million to run for a $175,000 a year job? What is that? That's a lot of favors to give back. That's special interest running D.C. My candidacy is a different type of candidacy. It's, in essence, a cashless candidacy, a candidacy of the currency of awareness, the currency of my neighbors taking action and saying, look, I will hold my signature. And if they do, they leverage their individual political power 500 to 1. It's an amazing phenomenon and one that we're not really aware of. So yes, multiple parties, all this, and they all operate different ways. We have control as Republicans as to how our party operates in theory, okay? But exercising that control means understanding when the political party is most vulnerable, and it's most vulnerable during the designating petition season, which is now through April 1st. So we've got about five minutes left, and I want to just quickly jump through uh, some some issues that will certainly be hot-button issues, especially as you talk to uh, different folks throughout the district, uh, some of the issues that, that Congress has been uh, discussing or at least running on in recent years. Uh, Health care, obviously there is a, a big push right now on the Democratic side to socialize uh, health care. Uh, how would you sort of be that that reckoning force to at least balance things out, whether majority, minority, or something in between? Well, back in 2012, President Obama gutted research on certain types of cancer cures. We are very, very interested in health care, but we don't place a lot of emphasis on self-care. If we can teach little kids how to be gender confused, we can certainly teach them the difference between insulin and glucagon and how the two operate amongst each other, and how certain types of cancer, cancers that rely on glucose, for instance, are able to be obliterated through diet, through ketogenic diets. Now, that's science. Why is government not supporting science that cures cancer? I've had four people in my family die of cancer. A brother at 46, a sister at 50, a brother at 63, my dad at 83. Yet cancer is curable through diet. I believe, and there are studies to show that. But when the funding was taken away from that under Obama's administration, who was the beneficiary of that? There are so many businesses, big pharma, big ag, quite frankly, depend upon a reasonably sick populace to make money. All right. So if dairy is bad for you, we're not going to attack the dairy industry because the dairy industry is a huge lobby and employs a lot of people as a wonderful industry in great ways. However, There are issues associated with health that can be tied to sugar, for instance, can be tied to high carbohydrate and things of this nature. So the issue really is whatever wisdom I have on any topic, transparency, health care, whatever it happens to be, I would bring that tension then to the discussion. What And in that's what a primary is for, to have those kinds of discussions. So Tom Reed, very big on the diabetic thing. But we know that diabetes is curable. Type 1 diabetes is an immunity issue. But type 2 diabetes we know to be curable. So health care is one thing. Self-care is another. Journal of American Medical Association, right? JAMA. They did a, uh, a study in Minnesota where they made food stamps subsidized for vegetables and healthy things to eat and prohibited sugars, sweetened packaged products with sugars in it. 
It was a study. They did four different aspects of the study. One was a control group that had no restrictions. One had subsidies only. One had restrictions only. And then there was a a third group. In the third group, people consumed 100 calories less a day. They lost 10 pounds a year. How much obesity is within our food stamp community? Okay? And yet, that's not a policy of our government. That was rejected. So we have this, we have in the WIC program, right, for mothers and infants. We have in the school lunch program, dietary requirements that they're supposed to follow, but not in the SNAP, in the food stamp program. And we need to have it because it impacts people's health. Self-care is more important than health care. By the time someone goes to the doctor, by the time they can actually identify pancreatic cancer, for instance, it's too late. they got to cut half your stomach out and all this other kind of stuff and do various procedures that are stopgap to keep you alive for a certain period of time. But the tracking is very, very difficult in the early stages of this cancer because it looks like anything else. And yet we know that a ketogenic diet attacks pancreatic cancer. And we know that it reverses diabetes. So how do we emphasize that? How do we put that into legislative dialogue? We have a debate, okay, rather than a pat on the back and an automatic pass for a Republican in a gerrymandered district to create the tension so we can bring potentially a different individual into Congress to bring some creative dialogue, tension, amendments that put everyone else on the record. That it's not about supporting the special interest groups. It's about supporting the health of our neighbors in education, in incentivization, and that in itself will lower the lower health costs. But in the absence of self-care, there's no amount of money that's going to take care of people, okay? There's no amount of money. Uh, we're running out of time here, but uh, where can folks learn more about your campaign uh, as you move forward here through the petition process? Maybe they can even sign one of these petitions? Well, the best thing to do is, I'm, my name is Casey McDonald, so you know my name. And if you have a responsibility to, uh, to the political process, then know who the candidates are and know how you can help them the most. So go to CaseyMcDonald.com and follow through to my political website. Learn more about me and my other things, with the pottery, etc., my bed and breakfast, etc. But... Uh, say hello. If you say hello, I can literally send you a petition through email that you can mail back to me. Uh, the process is as simple as redeeming, you know, $5 on a can of paint. It's a very simple process. And uh, But if you don't say hello, then, okay, I haven't made enough noise, and this particular political cycle ends. But politics is a marathon. And in the words of the former governor of California, I'll be back. Appreciate the time, Casey. Thank you, Josh. Thanks for listening or watching. Inside the FLX is a production of FingerLakes1.com Digital Media. It's presented by FL1 News and hosted by me, Josh Durso. New episodes are released on demand each week on FingerLakes1.com or the FingerLakes1.com app. You can also catch episodes anywhere you find podcasts. If you have an idea for an episode or question you'd like answered on the show, visit InsideTheFLX.com to submit it. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you next time.